0: Welcome to Fun With Science with Travis and Steve. Today we've got a really fun experiment where we've got your standard water jug but yet it's filled with absolute ethanol. So what are we going to do Steve? We're going to unscrew the cap and we're going to put fire by it. (laughs) That seems like a great idea. (laughs) Let's go. Welcome to all of you. I want to shout out to our Bettendorf and QC West campuses, as well as those of you joining us here online. My name is Sean, and I have the privilege of of serving as one of the ministry team members here on the Heritage Ministry team. And I also have the privilege of unpacking a simple principle that can radically change how we live and relate to God. But before I do that, I want to invite you just to think with me for a moment. Have you ever noticed how some things tend to drift? you ever notice how some things tend to drift from their original purpose into some other use? That they will, one thing will start in one place with an intended design and then drift or migrate to some other thing? Like, for example, Botox. Botox was originally developed as a means of treating muscle spasms, but now it's primarily used for cosmetic purposes. Some things drift from their original design. Minoxidil is another example. It was originally created to treat high blood pressure, but now it's marketed as a hair loss treatment plan called Rogaine. But I wouldn't know about that. (laughs) Even think about something like Agent Orange. It was originally developed as a plant growth stimulant, not, not intended to be used to defoliate trees in Vietnam. Some things drift from their original design. Take Radar from tracking ships and aircraft to determining speeds of vehicles to heating the food in our microwave. Some things have a tendency to drift from their original purpose and design. Here are a few other examples, some more common household examples you might be surprised by to find that they have drifted. Here's one, Coca-Cola. Did you know that Coca-Cola was originally developed as a medicinal tonic and that it was green? Some things have a tendency to drift. Here's another one, Avon Skin So Soft, originally developed as a bath and oil spray, but then they found out it does a really good job repelling mosquitoes, so now it's marketed as both. Some things can drift. In World War II, a group of scientists started working with some chemicals, and they were trying to develop plastics for precision gun sights, but they found those chemicals were just really sticky and hard to work with, and so from precision gun sights, we ended up with super glue interesting which can glue about anything including human skin together after surgery here's another world war ii example in an attempt to find other means of synthetic rubbers they started identifying uh, this putty uh, to use for military purposes but it didn't work for military purposes but you know what it does a great job removing the print from the funny comic strip in the form of silly putty some things drift from their original intended purpose Uh, The the slinky, slinky was part of research for stabilizing nautical equipment on high seas. And we also have the Rubik's Cube, which was developed to teach students complex shapes by a professor. And Teflon, originally developed to be a refrigerant, turned out to be not very good as a refrigerant. And many years later, a French couple determined it works great on cookware. Some things drift from their original purpose. Here's the last one. It's one of my favorites. A Cincinnati soap company on the brink of closing down, this couldn't make it anymore as a business, redefined themselves as an organization when they developed a substance that could ultimately remove soot from wallpaper. Now, it saved the company, but when when coal fireplaces became obsolete, that company was, again, faced with the, the possibility of going out of business. But that compound saved the company again, and it was remarketed as Play-Doh. Some things drift from their original design. Some move into greater purposes, and some move into lesser purposes. But it's not inventions that are the only things that drift into lesser things. People do it as well. We can drift from our God-given design and purpose and, and wander away and, in, and invest in things in life seeking satisfaction and happiness in these lesser things only to be frustrated by it because we can't get there, we can't find it. We too can drift in our journey like these things into lesser things. But the difference between us and this stuff is that we were created for a grand purpose, a greater purpose than we often realize. But far too often, we settle for and find ourselves living lesser lives because we've lost sight of our original purpose and that God-given design. Now, but the good news of it all is that God has made a way for us to go back to return to our original purpose. He's made a way for us to be restored in relationship to Him. And then, and then, here's the best part about it, then He gives us a twofold purpose, one, To bring him glory as we are in relationship with him. And the other is to bring others into that same kind of relationship as well. We can have a tendency to drift. But the reality is God makes a way for us to return to our original purpose. Where we can bring him honor and glory. And there is no higher calling than that. But even though that is true. The reality is that our natural tendency is to drift. Our natural tendency is to drift. And if you're following along with the Sermon Notes Guide, that's your first fill-in if you want to use this as a tool today in our journey. The first fill-in relates to the fact that our natural tendency is to drift. And our series, this chain reaction series, is simply a journey through the book of Colossians, a a letter written primarily to address the issue of drift in the lives of a group of people. It was in a town called Colossae which is located in Asia Minor or what we would know as modern-day Turkey. And we're calling this series Chain Reaction because a chain reaction is a sequence of events that lead to other reactions. One reaction leading to additional reactions. One thing causing another. And I'm really glad you're here. You picked a great weekend to be part of the gathering of God's people for uh, several reasons. One is, this is Father's Day. And it is cool to be able to love on our fathers, to celebrate them, for their impact and what they have done in our lives. The second reason it's cool that you're here is that we have the ladies from Duck Commander in the house. And and that's just cool because it is. Just because it is. And the third thing, which is probably the coolest thing about this time together, is that we today are walking in a journey through a letter written 2,000 years ago to a people struggling with drift written by a man who was a missionary and church planter named Paul. And at first glance, you say, oh, that's not very cool. But listen, let me tell you why it is cool. It's because in this letter, Paul helps us understand how our life can be changed and different today. No matter what you're facing, no matter what's in front of you, brokenness, hardship, difficulty, that can be changed today. And that's part of what Paul is unpacking as he writes this letter to that church. And in that reality is a simple principle that what is doesn't have to be. Our life can be different and that what is doesn't have to be. Our life can be different because of Jesus. And I want to show you how as we walk through a bit of the journey today. So let's just do this right now. Let's do a quick run through of Scripture walk down through the scripture for the day, and then we'll spend some time intera- interacting with our special guests as we begin to unpack what this scripture has to do with our lives moving forward. So. Grab whatever you want. If you have a printed Bible with you, grab that. Turn to the book of Colossians. If you have a device, grab it and click down through to Colossians chapter 1. You can use a sermon notes guide because it's in there as well. But we're going to the book of Colossians. It's in the New Testament, 12th book of the New Testament. You can get there as you go from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You'll start hitting the 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Then you hit Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And right there, you'll find this little letter of Colossians tucked in there. If you get to the Thessalonians or the Timothys, You've gone too far, throw it in reverse, back up. We're in Colossians chapter one, and we're starting at verse nine. So as you're turning there and getting ready, I just wanna remind you of something from last week. We talked about a very simple, but effective way to study scripture. And it's simply by answering three questions. It's really doing a process of observe, interpret, and apply. And, And in that observe, interpret, and apply, we're asking three questions. What does it say? What does it mean, and how do we live as a result? And that is a great and simple way to take Scripture reading to Scripture study, to go from skimming through the Bible to actually interacting with it. And it's where God wants to teach us out of His Word, and as we observe, interpret, and apply, well, then He can start to show us things we maybe haven't seen before. So just keep that in mind as we walk down through the Scripture. And again, we're in Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 9. That's our scripture for today, six verses. And if I were to try to summarize those six verses in a single statement, I think I would do it this way. I think I would say that our life can be radically different because of Jesus. Our life can be radically different because of Jesus. Our life can be different because of who? Jesus, amen. It is Jesus and Jesus alone, not Jesus plus. He came to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness, from our brokenness, from the messed up things in our life, from the sin in our life, and move us into His kingdom, the kingdom of light, to restore us to our original purpose. Now, the deal is, we've all made mistakes. We all have regrets. We all have failures. And I think at some point in our journey, we have at least once wished we had a second chance wish that we could have a do-over, wish that we could get back to once what once was. And the reality is that Jesus is the one who allows us to do that by His power at work in us. Because, see, we were created for God. We were created to be in relationship with Him. It is incredibly simple, but yet significantly profound. And there is no greater purpose. Yet far too often, it's misunderstood and we don't understand how that relationship works and how what is in our life doesn't have to be and how that works through Jesus. And Paul is taking some time in this letter to help the people in the church in Colossae to understand that. To understand that that we tend to drift and lose our God-given purpose, but we are designed for far more than we realize. We have a far greater purpose. We were created to live a life empowered to do significant things for the glory of God to have impact beyond ourselves. But, but that sin, those mistakes, those failures, those shortcomings, those regrets, those things cause us to get stuck in a place where we live lesser lives. But because of who Jesus was and who he is, because of what he has done and what he is doing, everything in our lives can change. We can be set free from what we struggle with. We can be reconciled in relationship to him. We can be empowered and so much more. And what Paul is doing in this letter is writing to the church in Colossae and reminding them and explaining to them how life can be different because of Christ. That what is doesn't have to be. So let's take a moment and let's, let's see this in real life. And I would like to invite you to help me in giving a warm welcome to our special guests, the ladies of Duck Commander, Lisa, Jessica, and Miss Kay, as they come to the platform. <laughs> welcome, ladies. Thank you so much for being part of our gathering here today. There (laughs) it is right there. It is great to have you. How how are the Quad Cities treating you so far? Great. Great. Wonderful. Good to hear. Now, here is a more pressing question, and I'm really just curious about this. Who is making sure the fellows are not getting in trouble right now?
1: The eldest brother.
0: Alan. Good job
2: putting Alan
1: in charge. She's not telling you, he's the instigator
2: instigator
3: all (laughs) All the arguments.
2: Growing up he was, never knew the preacher started so many fights, but he did, and then he came out of it smelling like a rose, because Willie and Jace picked it up, and he said,
3: Willie and Jace got in trouble, and then Jep learned, he was the quiet one that was like, I'm not doing that, I'm not getting into that, and then, so Al and Jep made off good.
0: Yeah, you got to watch out for those preacher guys they're sneaky yeah they are <laughs> hey uh, love that you guys are here at least it's been great to get to know you You're, you and alan are probably the least seen in the tv show but just love your heart for jesus and and know you guys serve in the local church which i i especially just appreciate and and understand that because you serve in the local church there's no trouble in your life everything's just going really well <laughs> but maybe you could just share one of the struggles maybe you guys have had in your journey just to give us an understanding more of of your walk with the Lord and how you got to where you're at
1: yeah leaders of the church never have any problems do they (laughs) that's um, very far from the truth Um, I guess probably what I want to talk to you about is a. You know, 15, me and Alan have been married for almost 30 years. Um, in November, it'll be 30 years. Thank you. But it wasn't always roses. Um, there was lots and lots of thorns through that first 15 years. And probably the biggest um, problem that we had was that I drifted from my original purpose of what god had put me on this earth to do and i think probably the reason why that happened is because whenever i first married alan um and i what i thought became a christian i think it was just the fact that um i didn't want to be called as they would put it and so um, i joined into the family and joined into christ but not really At that point, I made Alan the Lord of my life. At 18 years old, I was just, you know, smitten with him. And so he became the person that I idolized. I mean, he was, in essence, my savior. But um, as you know, whenever you're going through life and you put someone in a place that they should not be, which I put him above Christ, And anytime you get that out of order, then your house crumbles. And so about 15 years ago, um, I had an affair for 14 months. And my husband was one of the main leaders at the church at the time. So it was very devastating for us and very devastating for the church. Um, But I had to look at myself. I did find myself um, in, in our backyard, with my face to the ground, and just asking, who am I? Where, where did I come from, and, and how did I get so far off course? But as you talked about, lots of things drift from their original purpose, and that's what I had done. You know that we always say, the devil made me do it. I don't think that the devil made me do it. The devil put the temptation there, and he knew where my weaknesses were, and, but I was a willing participant in it. Um, I take full responsibility for my actions. But I had a group of ladies who came in after this happened. I went down forward at our church. We probably have, um, at the time we probably had about 1,200 to 1,500 people. And I just went down front and said, I messed up really big, really big. And I don't know if it's the end of my marriage. I don't know if I'm losing everything that um, I hold so dear. But, you know, I need some help. I need somebody to help me. Well, that is where the group of ladies came from. And um, I'm not sure if you guys do responses here. We still do responses at Whites Ferry Road. And the reason why we do that, um, Alan and I fight for that because that is a time of healing when people come down and tell you what has gone wrong in their life and please pray for them. Please hold them accountable. And that's what I wanted. I wanted someone to hold me accountable. Um, And so we studied for about a week and at the end of that week, I did, for the first time, Put Christ where he should have been and I was baptized and just an overwhelming peace and Just to feel that forgiveness that only God can give is just an amazing feeling and um, So that was 15 years ago and what we've done since then is you know kind of like um, when he talks about the beggar who found bread that's what we were. We found hope and healing, and that's what we wanted to do was to give that to other couples who were having marriage problems. Um, we do premarital counseling, postmarital counseling, and we have a class that we do called Dynamic Marriage. And that is um, that's how we feel like that we can help other people. And to, you know, you can never repay God for what He does. But to us, we are repaying our church for standing behind us and, you know, holding us accountable and forgiving us. I um, went through a Celebrate Recovery step study, one of the best things I ever did in my life. Because when you do that, it goes all the way back to whenever, you know, whenever you're a child, your earliest memories, and it takes you forward. And I needed that because I needed to know that, one, whenever I was younger, things happened to me that was out of my control. I had nothing, there was no way I could deal with that. But since then, I had done things to other people that was my control. And I had to make amends to them and I had to ask for forgiveness. And that's very important. Alan did forgive me, but you know after after I was baptized, and I I received um, God's Holy Spirit I Knew that it didn't matter what happened with us as a couple But that I could make it because I had the most important relationship, and that was the one with Christ Jesus and so um, You know for the last 15 years. That's what we've done. We haven't done as much lately in the last year and a half Um, of the marriage counseling in our classes, but that's really where our heart is because we feel like that everyone needs a second chance sometimes. You know what? Sometimes we need third and fourth and fifth chances, but we want people to know that is out there and that God will forgive you. Your church family will forgive you, and sometimes there are you know, times whenever maybe a spouse cannot, but it doesn't matter. Christ is still there to heal that broken heart. No matter what happens with you, there is always hope in Christ Jesus.
0: Lisa, I just want to say thanks for having the courage to share your story. And it's a story about what God does and bringing beauty out of ashes working all things for the good of those who love him. And I just thank you for sharing that because I know that that story will have a direct impact on people sitting here today who don't, haven't gone so far down the journey with you yet and are trying to figure out how do I get to where you are. And I just appreciate your willingness to share, be honest, and have the courage to do that. Thanks. Jessica. Jessica, you're, uh, you're married to the youngest Robertson fellow.
3: Married to the baby.
0: yep. Yep. Would you He's mind? precious. I'm sure he appreciates knowing his mom knows that.
3: He loves it.
0: <laughs> yep. So could you give us maybe some insight into the beginning part of your journey as a couple and how that went for you?
3: Yeah. Um, well, Jeff and I met. Um, unlike the sister-in-laws, they grew up kind of knowing their, their um, spouses. But um, I, Jeff and I met when I was 20 and he was 22. Um, and we were babies. We actually met and got married when I was 20. Uh, we met in uh, probably January, and it was at, our first run-in with each other was at our hairstylist, which he calls a barber, but she's a hairstylist. <laughs> and uh, at the time, he did have his hairstyle, but he did have a little facial hair, he had a soul patch. So um, I knew that he would probably have hair on his face at one point or another after I met his daddy, but um, he, uh, I was leaving, and he was coming in, and all we said was, hi, made eye contact, said hi, and so I always joked with him, and I said, you you had me at hello, Uh, and so um, I left, and apparently, I guess she was talking uh, me up a little bit, and at the time, I was going through a lot, Um, I had uh, made many, many mistakes, and, um, and I was just kind of, Searching in all the wrong places uh, But I ran into him again later on at um, a concert and he came up to me and he said uh, hi I'm Jep the Robertson. His first name is actually Jules. His name is Jules Jephtha Robertson, but he goes by Jep um, But he said I'm Jep the Robertson. I said I know and he goes um, My dad's Phil Robertson and I said okay, and he goes you know the duck commander, and I was like I, I don't really know what that a duck commander is. I didn't know if it was a person <laughs> or I don't. I didn't a title. I didn't I really just didn't know. And so he was like, "You've never heard of Phil Robertson, the duck commander?" And I was like, "Uh uh-uh. uh And so that was a low blow to him. He was just like shot him down. But, um, and then his next line to me, his next pickup line was, um, "Do you like my plaid pants?" Because at the time he worked at Abercrombie and Fitch, and plaid pants were in at the time. And so I was like. Yeah, I mean (laughs) nice pickup line. So uh, it didn't go too much further of our conversation. So uh, we ran into each other again later on at a Chili's and he was with his best friend Trey that he lived with and um, they said come over come over we're going to play play some games and I was like okay and there was a big group of like college-age kids that, that did that and then I didn't know, but at the end of all the games, they sat around and they did Bible studies, night after night after night. And, um, and so one night, it was just Jeff and Trey and me, and um, they basically just preached the gospel to me. And um, I, I don't think they expected a response or anything. They were just kind of, you know, I guess charged up and everything. And so I said, "Um, I think I need to be baptized. And they were like, well, let's study some more. We need to, you need to really study. And I said, no, I need to be baptized tonight, like right now. And so it was like 11 o'clock at night. And we took his Jeep to a local neighborhood that had a pond in it. And we pulled up to the pond and shined the lights on it. And Jet baptized me that night, which, you know, at the time we weren't like dating or we didn't, say we liked each other or anything, but, uh, which I really was like, man, I didn't even think about the snakes and alligators out there, but <laughs> all I knew is that I had to be baptized and I had to make Jesus Christ Lord of my life right then and start my life over. And so Jeff and I, um, for a couple more months, we just kind of hung out with the with big group of friends. We went camping and did a lot of fun stuff like that, but uh, we didn't start dating until June. And we got married in October, so it was really quick, I was 20, and uh, we basically, Jeff and I were having a Bible study at his parents' house, and he goes, we should just get married. And I said, okay. And so we walked in there, and we told Kay we were going to get married, and she, of course, was like bawling and jumping around, jump for joy and hugging me. And I said, we were like, let's just get Phil to do it. And so we just wanted him to like marry us like the next day. And we didn't know where we were going to live, how we were going to survive. We were going to live off love, and that's all you needed at the time. And (laughs) we didn't care if we lived with Kay. She was like, you're not living with me. So she helped (laughs) us, so she helped us get a little trailer and we moved it on Jason Missy's land. And, um, but we were actually married two weeks later. We were like, you got two weeks, because we we didn't care about a wedding. Um, We knew we didn't have any money for it. So she planned it all. We, um, I didn't have a wedding dress. I went to Dillard's and bought a, um, a dress off the sale rack. And I've never had a wedding ring or anything. And I, I like it that way because I'm, I'm proud. I know a lot of people say, oh, these gold diggers, they, they marry them, I'm like, they just don't know. We, we lived off, you know, Kay's scraps and- uh, They were pretty good. They, we did good, <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's all we needed was Kay's cooking, so. Uh, we did yeah we did pretty well but you know we um, we take pride in that we have all married our husbands when nobody knew it but they had no money and we were really blessed and um, through all those times we think you know we have four healthy kids we didn't care if we had a lot of money or anything and who knew that dynasty was going to come around but um we are really thankful, of course, for the platform we get to share our hearts and our, our you know love of, for Christ. And we never really thought we'd get that opportunity. Jeff and I, being the youngest, we didn't we weren't in the um, in the environment that Lisa and Alan were, where they preached, and even Willie preaches and um, and Jace does. So we never really thought we would, um, especially even get up in front of a crowd like this and share our hearts. But um, but God, you know gave us the courage to do it. And so we're here today to, to share our hearts with y'all and hopefully to encourage y'all to keep rooting. I know that Lisa talked about having a passion for family and so do I, and to keep your marriage together. And because Jeff and I, we didn't know each other when we, we got married. We went through a lot of struggles while we were married that probably couples did before while they were dating. And so um, you know, every time I, we would come down, Lisa, for help, And we did many, many a nights uh, crying on their couch. And me crying, not so much Jeff. But, um, (laughs) and then many a times where I've just called Kay, Kay became my best friend. And um, I didn't have a lot of friends coming into the church being an outsider and everybody having their little cliques in the, and you know, friends already established. So um, Kay became my best friend and I called on her for advice, you know, for, walking with the Lord for my marriage and how to be a mom and, uh, you know, making those choices on how to to raise them right. So I'm really blessed to be a part of this family. 13 years now, this October, 13 years.
0: <laughs> Jessica, thanks, thanks for being uh, willing to live a life of authenticity and transparency and let us hear that journey and be able to to look in even through the show and just to see very clearly you love the Lord and how you're wanting to see Him glorified in and through all that you do. And appreciate that from each of you uh, as well. And, and Miss Kay, you and, and Phil haven't always been what we see on TV. In fact, Phil probably hasn't always been a kind and patient man. And I actually remember one episode where uh, the family gave the gift of a wedding ceremony and you said Phil has not, wasn't always a nice man. Um, no, he was a jerk. He was a <laughs> jerk. Well, can you, can you tell us a little bit, uh, just about what changed, what happened in that journey, what that journey was, and what changed as a result?
2: Well, I, it's so long. I'm trying to figure out how to condense, but I'll do the best I can. I just started out with me as um, in a little bitty town. My parents owned a grocery store, which they worked all the time, literally all the time. So I stayed with my grandmother. It's important that I tell you this because I want to tell you the lesson she taught me as a little girl. Um, she, she only went to school till she was either 13 or 14, not very long. But I'm going to tell you, I remember her reading her Bible sitting in front of the, the little heater in a rocking chair to my grandpa. She read it to him all the time. And then what happened though, when she taught me lessons. She didn't, because of her probably limited knowledge of remembering book, chapter, and verse, and all that, she didn't teach it like that. I remember her teaching me the fruits of the Spirit in simple ways that she did. I mean, she was completely, she was kind, she was gentle, she was faithful, she was all those things that the Spirit are. And she talked to me about those different things while we were maybe cooking in the kitchen, and she was one of the best servants that ever was. But she showed me the first passion for cooking. Mostly as a little girl, I just threw flour all over the kitchen because I was trying to learn how to roll that dough. But I rolled more dough on the floor than I did on the table, i tell you that right now. But those lessons from an older lady and her faith as she shared it was priceless. And I want to tell you something. Don't you ever think that one thing that if you share with a child could be your child, your grandchild, or somebody else's child. When you share your faith in just daily living, it's the greatest thing that ever was for that child. So don't ever think that's not important. Uh, but the one I want to tell you the most she taught me about was marriage. Um, of course, we talked about that one day, and she said, well I just want you to know that God created you to get married and so you're going to be like a bird that flies out of the nest and I said oh I know that I'm, I'm thinking about that already young I think it was I read so many books you know that's what I think happened and she said well I just want you to know it's going to be not one husband and one wife for one life divorce is not an option and I was like well I'm not going to get divorced I'm going to be living happily ever after, just like those books I read in the library say. And she said, oh, hon, hon, that's not like that in real life. You're probably going to have to fight for your marriage. Of course, that's when I thought, well, bless her heart. She's too old. She doesn't know anything. I mean, I'm going to marry a pioneer man that could just drive a wagon train across America and me in it, and I could be safe and... Of course, then I realized we didn't have wagon trains here now, but, but it was good in one of my stories, so that's what I wanted, that kind of man. And I had it all planned, and that was my goal in life, was to be the best mother and wife I could ever be. Well, I found that pioneer man at school. because all he talked about was hunting and fishing, and you think, well, most women wouldn't like that. I loved it. Cause you know, if we had to live off the land, he could support me. And I did know he had a strong work ethic. He worked every summer and he gave every dime he made to his parents, except for maybe one check. That's, he never, he thought everybody did that. I liked that about him too. There were so many things. Now how I saw the pioneer man in that crew cut, I don't know, but maybe I just thought it'll come. But that was, what I wanted. My mother and dad were what you'd call, everybody would think they're good people, they help people, they did all that, but mom had a secret life. She was a closet alcoholic. She was also the church secretary. And my uncle, who was a deacon, was um, also a closet alcoholic. My dad drank a little bit, but not much. So another thing to show you that not everybody's perfect in leadership at the church that they could have problems too. It's not a perfect world, but it becomes perfect when Jesus is the top of it, I'll tell you that. But that's how I was raised. Now I heard it and I saw my grandmother live it. And I think now I know that because she shared her faith with me, it kept me from doing a lot of things that I could have done, but I was not perfect. I have a devastating thing that happened when I was 14 years old, my daddy died. He was a perfect-looking man. You'd never think it. And one day at 49 years old, he just fell dead of a heart attack. It was so—of course, my mother went to pieces. She didn't even know how to write a check or anything, so she just thought, well, I've got to get somebody else. And she tried. She got somebody else so instantly it was embarrassing. I'll tell you that today. And, uh, but it left me in a bad state because my dad was my protector, took care of me. So Phil and I had started dating the fall of when I was a uh, ninth grade. But guess why he broke up with me? During duck season, he said I was interfering with duck season. <laughs> Can you imagine? I was like, "What?" And then I thought, "Well, that's a pioneer man, I guess." So I just thought, "Well, I think he's the one, but maybe we just need a little time." When my dad died, he was one of the first ones there at the funeral there. And when I saw him and he saw me, it was like, that's it, we're back. And I, I think in so many ways, he just became my dad's place as my protector and my rock and all that. Although he wasn't very mature for that. But anyway, as time went on to show you, I didn't listen to everything my grandmother did tell me. Uh, we got pregnant. And anyway, you know how that goes in, you know, teenage. But I said, oh, it's going to be perfect. So when we went off to Tech, my mama moved off with her new husband. And I just said, "Um, we'll just live happily ever after, because that's what the book said, right? But what I saw was Phil was a good person in high school. I think I was, somebody might say, well, you were his downfall, because he didn't drink, he didn't do any of that stuff. But I want to tell you, if you start just blaming me, it takes two to tango, okay? So we both failed there, but there were different reasons, and it was all sin, but you know, I I knew that she didn't approve, Nanny didn't, but again, she loved me and she said, now you can do this, remember what I told you? And you got to fight for this marriage. And I was like, here she goes with all that again, oh. So what happened was we took off to Tech and everything was going to be lovely. Now, I didn't know how to take care of a baby. I knew how to take care of a baby puppy, a baby kitten, a little baby chick. I was into animals. But I thought, how could it be different? A baby, you know, it's just a baby, right? Well, let me tell you, it's a lot different, okay? (laughs) It's a lot different. You can't just put them in the pen and tell them to hush (laughs) and just leave them, let them get their stuff. You can't do it, but I found that out. I was 17, he was 18, but I had a positive attitude because Nanny said it was much better to be like sunshine and be like honey, don't be a sourpuss. So I was gonna be happy and I was gonna make it all work, right? And what happened was that's when the devil came and really took over Phil right then and there with the friends he started. And let me tell you something, choices of friends, young people listen to me right now. That can change your life in a bad way if you choose the wrong friends. Don't do that. Don't make the mistake because he was just drifting like you talked about right into that life and here we go, just bad. And I kept saying, well, now it's them old mean football players. They've done it. Can't stand them. I just, I'm going to wish them away, and then we're going to move to another place, and it will all be happily ever after, just like the book said. So I just had to be patient and wait till we got to the next. His first job was a coach. Guess what? The man he worked with, he was an alcoholic, party guy, loved it. Here we go again. I hated him. I said, an evil man just came right up here. Of course, he was that way. I never understood that the evil, the devil, was in Phil at the time. I just couldn't believe that. So we went through, and we did the best we could. We had Jason there. We had already had Alan. We had Jason. We had Willie. We went on with our life, and it got worse and worse. Phil got in some serious trouble, serious trouble where cop cars came after him. But of course, as the man he was, he said, I'm going to the swamp for three months, but you can handle this, I know you can. I mean, they'll love you. Really? No, I did the best I could. I started telling them about how he wasn't a bad man, but it was all them evil people that he ran around with that did it. Of course, the policeman just looked at me like, yeah, bless your heart. But what happened was, we just went that to the next town. I knew the next town, we're going to make it here. Man, this is going to be lovely. Phil was working offshore. I, were, I had a job about 30 minutes away. It got worse. It got worse. It got worse. And all of a sudden, I found myself going deeper and deeper. With, it was like a veil, a darkness, a cloud on me. And one night I came home, and he actually accused me of having an affair because I was late because the car broke. And I thought, well, you idiot. How do I have time for that? And you know I'm not like that. I couldn't believe it. But that night, I don't know, the darkness just came over me. And I went in my bathroom and I got on my, just like Lisa said, you just, there's something about getting on the floor to where you're just face down and you're like, I just, I really thought I don't want to live anymore. I just wanna go to sleep and wake up and it be all right. I just thought, and I looked up at the sky and told Nanny, I said, is this what you're talking about? How did you say and know that I was gonna have to fight for my marriage like this? I don't understand. How did you know? And how many years has been over nine years? I couldn't understand it. And I really just lay there feeling hopeless, no hope. And I'm going to tell you something. When I heard three little house shoes come and they knocked on the door, and then I think Alan was about nine, and and then anyway, Willie was maybe three, and where Jason was in the middle there somewhere. And what they did, (laughs) sorry, Alan said, Mama, Mama, don't cry. Don't cry, Mama. He said, God's going to take care of us. God's gonna take care of us. Don't cry anymore. It's gonna be all right. I mean, he was nine years old. And all of a sudden it was like somebody turned on the light in the darkness. And I just said, God, I don't know how to find you anymore. I thought I had you, but maybe you were just nannies, God. I don't understand. What I realize now is I was operating on her faith. I didn't have a personal faith. You must develop your own personal faith. You can't slide in on your grandmas, your mamas, your daddies, your brother, your sister. You can't. It has to be personal. It have to. You have to own it. So that's what I prayed for the next day. I got. A, I saw this thing on TV, and a man was just talking. He said, "Do you want?" Jesus says, your Lord, do you want to have peace in your life? Do you want to have an anchor to Christ? Do you want to know what it's like to have somebody that's never going to leave you, that's never going to forsake you, that's going to love you forever? And I was like, I got closer to TV, and I said, they said a number. I wrote it down. I called over there, and I said, I want to talk to that man, that white-haired man that just said that on TV. I I heard it. I mean, she said, "Um, well, there's other people. I said, No. That one, the one I heard, that's one I want. okay? And I said, I, she said, well, we'll try to see if you can come over tomorrow. I said, oh no, how about today? Today's much better. I said, look, look at this like an emergency. She said, okay, let me check. And she'd come back, okay, you can come right over. When I went in and talked to him, he said, Katie, you feel like if you died tonight, you would go to heaven? And I said, would I? Are you kidding? I've been living with a jerk for almost 10 years, and I've been the best wife and the best mother. And Well, why wouldn't I? I would have earned my way to heaven, Jack. That's what I said. <laughs> and he said, okay, it's just gonna be you and God. And I said, no, Phil will slide in on my coattails. I can tell you that right now. It's gonna be sitting there right on me with me. And he said, no, it's not going to be like that. So he went on to tell me the gospel of Jesus, as clear as plain as anybody would ever tell me, how he came down to earth, became a man, how he died on the cross for me, how he was buried and was raised in three days, how he went back to heaven just to listen to my prayers, to be there for me. And that one day he's coming back for me he told me that and i i couldn't believe it and i said i want that i want some of that that's what i want that's what i want he said do you believe and have faith in this gospel i said do i i said that's the best news i've heard in years i said yeah i want to confess him right now as my lord and savior i want to live for him i want to repent I said, I'm sorry. I said I could get there on my own, but, I mean, I did fight. You, knew that. you know that. He said, God knows that, and thank you for your grandmother's words. And I said, but Lesman, I just want to make him Lord today. He said, you can. And I was later baptized that day right there, And but the best news he told me was when you go home, that man's still going to be a drunk. That man's still going to talk ugly. He said, but you have Jesus Christ living in you. You have his Holy Spirit, and it is your faith, yours, not your grandma's, it's yours. And nothing can shake that. It is an anchor to you forever and ever. And I left and I was rejoicing. And when I came in to tell Phil the good news, he said, oh, no. You've turned into a holy roller, a Bible thumper, That's what I gotta live with now. He said, you're gonna ruin my life. I said, well, hey, Jerk, you've been ruining my life for 10 years. (laughs) I know that probably wasn't the best Christian thing to say at the time. (laughs) But you know what? He did become my life, and I knew that I had three little boys, I could get to heaven, and that was my goal. Nothing is important is that nothing my my little grandkids and i sing a song that and Merritt's favorite which is jessica's is there's only one it's an old song but it's sang new by new country singer or something and it's only one and that's god there's only one and she looked at me one day and said mama that's all that matters god is all that matters And I I cried, of course, in the car. But you see what happened? My grandmother so many years ago told me that. And you know what? The rest of the story about Phil, you'll have to read in the book because I don't have enough time to tell you. But that's my part. And I want to say I'm kind of like Lisa now. I fight for marriages. I fight for people to put God in the center of their marriage, of their life because he said it so well today, we just drift away, we drift away. Don't do that. But anyway, I think y'all know kind of the end of this story. And now Phil is one of the most courageous men. He would give up his job and his life for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he finally got it. Ladies, uh I'm just
0: so thankful for your willingness to spend some time with us, to be honest and share, and and it is clear you love the Lord, and I thank you for your willingness to be in the public light a little bit more and that's not always a it's never an easy place to be, honestly but I appreciate your willingness to have the courage to do that, to do it, to honor the Lord and I just, I know we're going to have an opportunity to spend time with you afterwards and all that but I thank you for keeping the right thing and the right focus, and that's Jesus and I want to pray for you as we step back into the rest of our time Heavenly Father, my Lord and my God and my King, I lift my sisters to you. God, I thank you for the each journey uh, that they represent, how you have your fingerprints on their lives, how you've been faithful to draw each of them to yourself, to demonstrate your love for them through your Son, Jesus. And, and you've called them to yourself, you've redeemed them, you've positioned them for your purpose and your glory, and I thank you that they are stewarding these moments in a way that, that you can be glorified. And I pray, Father, that as they continue to to work and move and act as, as women, as wives, as, as parents, uh, as moms. I, I, God, I, I thank you for the roles that you give them, and I pray that you would empower them with the knowledge of your will, that they would be able to live a life worthy of you as Lord, that there would be fruit and growth and empowerment from you so that they can have the endurance and the patience and the joy to live in this life in a way where you are pleased and your will is done. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. All right, well, let's take a moment. Let's, uh. Happy Day, everybody. Oh, happy Father's Day. There you go. Thank you, Jessica. Let's go back and look at the scripture that we've been talking about. And whether you've uh, read Colossians a hundred times or whether you've never read it at all, or whether you've heard this thing over and over again, or never heard or understood this deal with Jesus before, uh, there is always something to learn when we read scripture, especially when we observe, interpret, and apply. So let's sit back into this for just a few moments. And right here at the very beginning of that section in verse nine, Paul prays uh, that the believers in Colossae would have the knowledge of God's will by the Spirit. And that's a great thing to pray for anyone. It would be awesome that we would all be able to have the knowledge of God's will by a spirit. But he didn't stop there with the prayer. In fact, he went on to say uh, that they would ask in verse 10 that they would live out that knowledge in a life worthy of the Lord. But I want to pause there for a moment because... I want to look at this a little closer. There's a tendency when we hear that kind of thing to fall into the trap of thinking that we can earn our way into relationship with God or that we have to earn our way into relationship with God. Miss Kay talked about that. So said, that's not the way it works, Jack. But there is, we don't earn it in any way. It's something we receive, it's a gift from God. In fact, In fact, think about it this way with me. Paul was praying a prayer where he said, look, I pray that you would have knowledge, the knowledge of the will of God and pray that you would have that by the Spirit. So he said through the Spirit that you would have knowledge of the will of God and that that knowledge of the will of God would lead you to live a life that is worthy. Uh, A worthy life, one marked by fruit, one marked by his empowerment, one marked by growth. But then that worthy life would position you, or them and us, to live a life of endurance and patience and, and joy, thankfulness. So what Paul is doing, as I look at this, he's saying, look, these are things that God does. By his spirit, he gives us knowledge that leads us to be able to live a life that is worthy, that then we can live a life that is marked by endurance, patience, and joy. The deal is that the world tells us that this should start here and that it should work up instead of working down. The world says we have to do in order to be that our doing leads to being. But that's backwards. That's not how it works. God's design is that our being leads to doing. Because Jesus rescues. And when we're rescued, he gives us his spirit, When you have our spirit, then we can know the the will of God by the spirit, we can live a life that is worthy, and we can have endurance and patience and joy. But the world says, you got to be here, and you got to try to do it this way and work up. But it doesn't work that way. That is backwards. It is in reverse. It is by the spirit that those things are realities or can be realities in our life. Being leads to doing, not doing leading to being. And our life can be different because of Jesus in a relationship with him. It's him and him alone. Now, I recently read about uh, an incident at an air show, and that's not all that unusual. Unfortunately, those things happen at air shows, but this one was a little bit different, and it may be a little bit shocking because what happened was the pilot at a very low altitude had no control over his aircraft, and and after narrowly narrowly missing a group of bystanders, the aircraft collided into four buildings, and... Um, I don't want to upset you, I don't want to disturb you by this, but I I I actually have a picture of this and I want to show it to you and I have a reason why. So with that in mind of what happened in that incident, are you ready? Let me show you the picture. Check it out. (laughs) If you want to look away, you can. It's horrible. It's horrific. Very traumatic for the people in those buildings, right? Very traumatic. Listen, listen. I share that because sometimes when we hear something, we think we have a full understanding, an accurate understanding of it, but we don't. And when we think we have a full and accurate understanding, we can tend to step away from it and miss the important part. And that's really no big deal when it comes to a hot air balloon and a few porta-potties. But it's a much bigger deal when it comes to the things of God. When it comes to who Jesus is and what he's done and what it means to be in relationship with him. See, many people know about Jesus, but very, very few people have a proper understanding of what it means to live in relationship with him. And too many think it's doing leading to being rather than being leading to doing. And when we hear Jesus did this, God does that, when we think we've got it all figured out, we can make a presumption. We can even check out and say, I know this, I got it, I don't need to hear this again. And when we do that, we miss out, tragically miss out on what's really important. We even talked last week that our hope is in Jesus and nothing else. It's Jesus alone. It's not Jesus plus something. And if if you wanted to see more of what we did, you can go to heritageqc.com and click on the media tab and check it out. But I want to unpack with you another key point about Jesus and who he is and really who he isn't. And it's simply this, that Jesus never intended to simply be a sympathizer. Jesus never intended to simply be a sympathizer. One of my favorite authors and theologians is Oswald Chambers. And, and he once described the tension that comes when we drift in our view of God and drift in our view of Jesus. You see, our tendency is to think of Jesus and embrace him only as a sympathizer. And when we do that, then we take spirituality and we turn it into sentimentality. And we make Jesus into nothing more than a, just a simply a, a loving, kind friend as opposed to a warrior king who rescues think about it this way with me when we understand that, that Jesus can be or is our savior we can be tempted to think that he's just a sympathizer he's the one who who loves he cares for children he humbles himself he comforts us in our brokenness and, and he does all those things but that's not all he does He is not just a sympathizer, he is one who is a rescuer. One who redeems, one who sets free, one who heals, one who restores. He is rescuer. And the problem comes is when we only think he is a sympathizer. Because if that's all he is to us, then our relationship consists of interacting with him down here. That he enables us to endure, be patient. We think of Jesus as just someone who comes alongside of us and comforts us in our brokenness and just hangs with us and say I understand I'm with you just bear with it and just sit in it we miss the point we have a misunderstanding of who Jesus is and we get in the way of what he really came to do which is to be rescuer his goal is not to leave us in our places of misery and hurt and pain and brokenness but to rescue us out of them and redeem us and when he is rescuer, well, then he gives us our, his spirit as Savior. He gives us a spirit which leads the ability to have the knowledge of the will of God and to live a life that is worthy and to have the endurance and patience and joy to live and thrive in it. When we understand him as rescuer, it's about him. When we think of him only as sympathizer, it's about us. And then we find ourselves trapped in trying to make something happen that we just can't do. We want to change our life, and we don't have the ability to do that. Our life can only be different because of what Jesus does. And why we get stuck in in addictions and habits is because we're trying to let our doing lead to being. And Jesus is nothing more than a sympathizer to us. And when he's just a sympathizer, then we don't see that what is doesn't have to be. When we see him as rescuer, as one leading us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, everything changes and we work from understanding that our being leads to doing, well, now we start to live a life of significant impact and purpose. And everything changes. Everything changes. Chambers once wrote this about the subject. He said, Jesus does come to the brokenhearted, to the captives by the captives held bound, cursed hereditary and tendency, to the blind who grope for light, to the man bruised and crushed by his surroundings. But he does not come as sympathizer. He binds up the brokenhearted. He gives release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. He sets at liberty them that are bruised. Jesus Christ is not a mere sympathizer. He is Savior and the only one. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's Jesus' Savior. Jesus does empathize. He can relate, He can identify, He's been there and done that, but He is not just a sympathizer. Anyone can sympathize, but Jesus saves. Jesus does what no one else can. He redeems, He buys back, He restores, He mends the brokenhearted, He takes what is broken and messed up and brings beauty out of ashes. That's who our Lord is, and that's what He seeks to do. He is Savior, and even though our natural tendency is to drift, And even if we're tempted to think he is just a sympathizer, then in that moment, we will fail to see that what he wants to do is take what is and make it something that no longer has to be. Our life can be radically different because of who Jesus is and was and is to come when he's not just a sympathizer in our lives, but when he's Savior, when he's Lord. Let's just look at one more scripture as we wrap up. This is from Hebrews 4. when he's more than a th- sympathizer, we can be free, rescued, and redeemed. So, so what? What do we do with this? What's the next step for us in this journey? Well, I think the question is, it depends on how we're going to approach God. How will you approach? How will you approach him? Will you come to him saying, I know it. I already figured it out. I heard it all before. Or will you come to him with a humility that says, I want to learn and I know I need to learn more. I need you to lead me through my being into doing. Or are you coming to him demanding that he do things a certain way in a certain time? Or are you coming before him, a holy God, seeking comfort, but also rescue? How are you approaching him? Are you praying for yourself, or are you praying as Paul did for others, that they would have the knowledge of the will of God? Maybe for you, you've been drifting, drifting, and you're not coming to him at all, you're not approaching him at all, and what needs to happen today is that you turn and you chase hard after him letting nothing distract you or deter you from it. How will you approach? We have an invitation to approach God's throne of grace with confidence, and no matter where you've been or what you've done, no matter where you've been or what you've done, you can receive mercy and find grace, and your life can be different because of Jesus. Look, if you find yourself here today spiritually unresolved, you don't don't really know where you stand with God, you haven't really made a decision of what to do with Jesus, I want you to know that in a matter of seconds that can all change. You can have a personal conversation with God where you ask Him to take what's been messed up in your life and to forgive it and remove it and ask Jesus to come into your life as Savior and Lord where He fills you by the Spirit so that you can have the knowledge of the will of God and live a life that is worthy and have the ability to to live in a way marked by endurance and patience and joy. No matter what you're facing, whatever you're facing, Jesus is enough. Let your being in Him lead to doing for Him. Because look, we can drift from our God-given purpose. We can move into lesser things. We can wander away and end up struggling with why can't we find happiness? Why can't we find contentment? But when we do that, we're only missing one thing. We're missing a Savior. The one who can restore, redeem, and rescue. And restore us back to purpose and hope and power in this life. Let me explain it this way. Do you know what trinitrotoluene is? If you know what trinitrotoluene is, raise your hand. All right, like a handful of people. Here's the deal. Trinitrotoluene was originally a yellow dye. It was used as a yellow coloring. But 50 years later, it was discovered that it had explosive properties. And we now know it as TNT. How would you like to have eaten the yellow candy 50 years before that? TNT. The model behind me is here to remind us of the reality of the chain reaction. That how one thing leads to another. How because of who Jesus was and is, things can be different in our life. And this particular molecule behind me represents the molecule for TNT. But it's missing one thing. It's missing an atom. Without the atom, it's no longer TNT and it no longer has the explosive properties But with that atom, it is explosive. It's highly impactful. And like the molecule behind me, us, we, without Jesus, missing one thing for an explosive and impactful life. That thing is Jesus. He is the one who redeems, restores, and empowers. He's the one who gives us hope. And without him, our life is less. Our natural tendency is to drift. And regret and shame and failure, they creep in on us. But none of those can stop him rescuing us if we ask him to. We are never too far from God and it's never too late to call on Jesus because he's the one who saves. And what is in your life today no longer has to be because he is rescuer. He is saviour. Your life can be different. You can have an explosive impact in this world. But it starts with relationship with him. And it's through Jesus and Jesus alone. How you start that relationship is actually laid out in your sermon notes guide. I really encourage you to check it out if you don't have a relationship with him. Some simple steps. And there's actually a prayer that I want to read to you. And if you've never prayed this prayer, perhaps you will pray this prayer right now with me. If you've already prayed a prayer like this, then maybe you'll join me in praying that someone you know who needs to step into a relationship with Jesus will pray this prayer today or sometime in the near future. Here's that prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Guide my life and help me to do your will. I give all I am to all of you. In your name I pray, amen life can be different because of jesus and if you just prayed that prayer your life is already different and you have started a journey like no other and if you did pray that prayer we would love to know it because we'd love to celebrate with you come alongside you and help you in the next steps because choosing to step in a relationship with jesus and receive the gift of salvation is the beginning of a journey it's not a destination It's a starting point of living in a relationship with God where we receive the knowledge of His will, live a life that is worthy with fruit and growth and strength, and have endurance and patience and joy to to navigate whatever we are facing in our lives. And it is a beautiful thing. So I encourage you to use your your worship guide, tear off that section, and just let us know that you made that decision, prayed that prayer, because we would love to celebrate with you and help you take those next steps. Because understanding, we were created for a grand purpose, created to live a life that is empowered for significant impact, explosive impact, where our being leads to doing. But the deal is we all have to choose. We have to choose to receive him, not just as a sympathizer, but as one who rescues. And when we do, everything changes. And life is never the same. Perhaps if you have not yet chosen, you will still choose before you leave. Because life is too short and death is too certain for us to live out of fellowship with God. Will you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather as a people. I thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you that through Him, God, we can be restored back to our original purpose, back to the intended design. We can come back into relationship with you, and and through Him, you can do incredible things for your glory in and through us as we yield to Him as Lord and Savior. So, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. wherever they're at in the journey of walking with you, I pray that you would continue to speak and lead and direct and that out of this time, your Holy Spirit would be able to work and move in their lives so that their life can be the explosive, impactful thing that you created them to be in the first place. For your glory, God. Thank you for giving us second chances and third chances and fourth chances. Thank you for your grace. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We pray this thing in his name.